Well, with this sermon series, it's not gone exactly as I planned. Uh, set out to kind of find details about a place called heaven. And what's happened is that instead of finding details about this place called heaven, uh, I have been impressed by things that I already knew about heaven. And God has been working in me tremendously to emphasize the importance of the things that I already knew. For example, uh, you know, when we started out, I would have liked to have figured out how old we would be in heaven, like the, the age of our bodies. And uh, that seems like a really cool thing. But instead, as you know, God taught me that, that a big part of what the Bible says about heaven is that the curse that we live under, all the bad stuff, will disappear from heaven. And I, I kind of knew that, but, but the Bible seems to make a really big deal about that. And so in my heart, as we've gone through this series, I've tried to make a bigger deal about someday knowing that I will live in perfection. Uh, another one, uh, I would have liked to have found out and relayed to you whether or not there would be sports in heaven. I couldn't uh, find that in the Bible. Um, I haven't looked through the whole thing, but I don't think it's there. But instead, what the Bible has made clear to me is, hey, don't worry about sports being in heaven. What you need to know is that God will be in heaven, and that's important. And what we saw last week, and even what we'll see again today, is that John, as he writes the book of Revelation, and the other authors in the Bible, Ezekiel and Zechariah, when they talk about heaven, what they make a big deal is that God will be in heaven, not whether sports will be in heaven or what kind of food we'll eat or anything like that. And, and so what's begun to happen is that, that, that I have seen through this series and through studying the topic of heaven that, that a lot of times, maybe you've seen this too, my priorities are not where they should be. You read the biblical authors and, and they're so wrapped up in the fact that everything will be made new and good and that God will be there, it, it makes me question why I make such a big deal about whether or not they'll have the games I like in heaven, whether they'll have the food that I like in heaven, and things like that. And so what, what God is doing in me is that He really is speaking to me, and He's making me say in my head, in my heart, my soul, where are my priorities? I mean, do I really value the presence of God the way that I should? If the most exciting thing for me in heaven is if I can fly... Right? I mean, if, if flying is like a bigger deal to me than being with God, then what does that say about my relationship with God right now? And so, in this series, God has done something to me, and, and I sense, I'll just be honest with you, I sense kind of a breakthrough in my relationship with God coming. I haven't had like a, what I would call a breakthrough. I think I'm always growing. Hopefully I'm always growing. But, but I haven't sensed like a breakthrough coming where it's like, I, I can feel feel that next step in my relationship with God coming. I'm a little worried about it. I'll just be up front with you. I, I, I feel like I'm already kind of like people look at me and, and, and I don't take this in an arrogant way, but, but as far as like the world and stuff, they look like kind of super Christian. And when I have to tell people I'm a pastor and I'm golfing or whatever, and then I can't have conversations with people anymore and they apologize every time they swear and, and things just get super weird. And, and so I, I feel like in me, there's there's this... This next step that's about to happen, and, and I, I'm a little bit concerned that I'm just going to be weird. Um, and, and I don't want to be weird. I never set out to be weird or anything like that. Uh, but, but I'm a little worried. And so, so I guess where I'm at 
just personally, is that I'm, I'm at this place where, where I can feel God nudging me and, and I feel like, the, I just feel that next step coming where I, I don't know if you've taken steps in your relationship with God, but if, if you have, uh, you, you know, kind of know what I'm talking about. Like, we're, hopefully we're always moving forward, but then there's kind of these, these, these spots where we have to get over these humps, right, to kind of get to the next level. And, and usually, the bigger step we take, the more we realize that we need to take more steps, right? And uh, it's weird in Christianity like that. And, and so today, uh, we're going to continue to look at the, the topic of heaven. But again, what God said to me this week as I, as I was studying and preparing was not at all what I expected and maybe it's not about heaven enough for you, but it's what the passage of Scripture seemed to be saying and what God seemed to be saying to me. And when I would read, I was blown away by just the study I was doing, and it seemed like God just just kept emphasizing the same thing to me, the same idea to me. Uh, and it just kept coming, even though it, almost the sentences, as I'm thinking about it right now, uh, coming in these commentaries and stuff, they didn't seem to be like what I was trying to study, what I wanted to talk about. And so hopefully, maybe God was just talking to me and I was supposed to write a different sermon, uh, but I don't have time to write two sermons in a week, one for myself and one for you. And so hopefully this this is what God wanted for you. And maybe maybe you can kind of break through with me and we can become a greater church through what we see today. And so uh, we're going to be looking at Revelation 22, 1 through 5. And I'll read that to you in a second. We're just kind of continuing in the book of Revelation. Uh, but before we get to to the, the, the main point, I do want to pause and, and do my best to answer one of the most common questions and one of the most important questions to me. That's this. Will my dog be in heaven? Kind of a big deal for me. Um, I, I have I've had... Lots of dogs that I love in my life, but but I'm, I have had two dogs that that I really loved in my life. From the time I was four to seventeen, I had a dog named Checkers, maybe the worst dog that ever lived that uh, never bit or killed anybody. Um, it just didn't do anything you wanted him to do. If you opened the door, he'd run out. He drug me through a yard when I was about six years old because. I chased him down and got a hold of his collar, and he just kept going, and so I'm going through the neighbor's yard. Horrible dog, but we loved him a lot, probably too much, and that's how he became a horrible dog. We never told him what to do when he was a puppy. And anyway, when Checkers died, and I was 17 years old. I had just finished a baseball game, and, and we thought he was going to be able to live long enough for me to go down to the vet and see him, uh, but the vet had told my family, hey, do the right thing for the dog. So I got finished with the baseball game. And they told me, and it was one of the hardest things that I'd ever dealt with in my life. And I know it, it sounds a little ridiculous looking back, but I'd never experienced the death of anyone or anything that I loved. And so it was, it was absolutely, it was the first time I was confronted with death. And, and it was really, really difficult for me to process and think through, I, I don't know what to do with this. I'm never going to see my dog again. And he's really been a part of my life. I mean, Every memory I had to that point, Checkers was there in some way. And, and, and so it was a difficult thing. And now, as you already know, uh, I have a dog that I love. He is the best dog in the world. If one of them's a Christian and one's not, if, if either of them are getting to heaven, it's Roy. But the Bible tells us that we can't work our way into heaven. But Roy is a great dog. He's the best dog. And, and, and I think about, I know it's going to sound really crazy. My wife thinks I'm crazy for this. But there's probably not a two-week period that goes by that I don't think about the fact that Roy will die someday. And so I have these two dogs I love, and so it's a very personal question for me. Will my dog be in heaven, right? 
People get really angry if you tell them no. And also, I found people get really angry if you say yes. So what, what does the Bible say? Well, in our passage of Scripture today, and that's why I'm bringing it up here, I think it's an interesting topic and something people care about. If you read uh, 22.5, it says about people, not dogs, and they will reign forever and ever. And so the picture that we get in heaven is that Christians are reigning over the earth with God as they are in His new Jerusalem and near the temple. And so the question becomes... Who are these people reigning over? Now, one of the very real theories out there is that these people are reigning over the animal kingdom. Now, why is that a theory? They're like, whoa, that's kind of a stretch and a leap, right? Actually, very smart people believe this because, as we'll talk about in a minute, Revelation 22, 1 through 5 is meant to be a duplication of the Garden of Eden. So if you went way back to the beginning of the book of Genesis... Genesis chapter 1, and you see God's creation of the earth, and then you see God talking about creating people and the perfection that they lived in. A lot of the language and a lot of the things that are being said in Revelation 22 are meant to show a restoration, a fixing of all the problems that came once Adam and Eve sinned and wrecked the garden and were removed from the garden of Eden. And we'll talk more about that in a second. But if you were to go back to Genesis 1... Verse 26, this is what you see. Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea, and the birds in the sky, over the livestock, and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. Verse 27 kind of repeats it. God blessed them and said to them, after he made them, Be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea, and the birds in the sky, and over every living creature that moves on the ground. And so right away in the beginning of creation, for whatever reason, God made it an important part of creating man and woman to rule over the animals that were on the planet. And so when you come to Revelation 22 and you see all the similarities between the Garden of Eden and the creation and Revelation chapter 22, it's not a hard thing to say, well, he may very well be talking about ruling over animals because that was part of the original creation, just like a lot of these other things that we'll talk about in a minute. And so, this is one of the best cases that you can make in the entire Bible for animals being with us in heaven. G.K. Beale, who's the author, and if you just listen to this word, the title of this book, you'll know that this is a very smart man, and if you look at the size of the commentary, it's a great commentary, but, but it's like this thick, right? It's called the New International Greek Commentary on the Book of Revelation. So this guy's not an idiot, and he says, based on this verse largely, it may have been a presupposition of God and, the, and John, the writer of Revelation, that animals would be with us in heaven. And so the question becomes then, okay, if animals are there, will my animal be there? Will my dog be there? And when you study this, you got people on both sides. And it seems people get angry on one side. They get angry because they think that you're like discrediting Jesus if you say that an animal will be in heaven. On the other side, you got people angry because you're saying their dog's not in heaven, right? And, and so, so here's what it boils down to. And we're not going to answer this. This will be way outside of the scope of, uh, of what we want to talk about this morning. Um, but if you want to sit down at Starbucks with me, I'd love to have this conversation with you. And, and I see both sides. But here's, here's kind of what the argument comes down to. On one side, you have people that say animals don't have souls. And if they did, they would need a savior. 
Right? And, and Because they would be part of fallen creation. And if they need a savior, then Jesus would have had to die for your slobbery, smelly dog. And that seems, in some way, right, to diminish what Jesus did on the cross. And so that's one side of the argument. That's a pretty good argument, to be honest with you. Here's the other side of the argument. In the Bible, it talks about how God has created all creatures for worship. I have conversations with my dog, this is also true, uh, while I'm just laying it all out there for you, about his purpose in life, to worship God. We have con- I talk- He doesn't talk back, but I talk to him ever since he was little. Bryn can attest to this, and I will look at him and say, Roy, you have one job on this earth, like me, and that is to bring worship to God, and you are not doing a very good job at that right now, and so we need you to be obedient so that we can do what we need to do and and have the time to get things done. And so we have that conversation, because the Bible is pretty clear that all of this creation, everything on this planet, is here for the purpose of worshiping God, you and I included. And Jesus says, when he's walking on Palm Sunday, and and the, the Pharisees say, hey, stop these people from declaring you king, he says... If they stop, even the rocks will cry out, right? And so there seems to be about all creation this idea of worship. And then we also see God cares for the animals. That's made pretty pretty clear throughout Scripture. I mean, we have things like where where it says in Matthew 6 that, that God feeds the birds, and if He cares about them, then He also must care about human beings. And, and you see all the way back in the Old Testament that, that God seems to care about the animals of the earth. And then you also see, and this is the other part of the argument, the imagery of animals in God's restored kingdom. He says things like the lion and the lamb will lay down together, right? And and we can say, well, that's metaphorical, but it's interesting, even as a metaphor, that the language of animals is so often used for what heaven will be like. Uh, I had a neighbor um, when I still lived with my parents who uh, who, who came... <laughs> I, we met on the si- sidewalk. I had never met the guy. And, and uh, I said I was a pastor, and it, it turned the conversation, like I mentioned. And, and he was a farrier. And so he, he tells me that, and because I say I'm a pastor, he goes, oh, there will be horses in heaven. Like, the, I was, well, we were just talking about work, and now we're talking about heaven. But that was great. And I say, oh, yeah, why do you think? And he said, well, Jesus rides in on a white horse. And I'm, this is an interesting theory. And, and so those are the two sides of the arguments. And I, I can't answer for you today what side I agree with. I understand that it's weird for Jesus to die for my dog. I get that even though I totally love him. But I, but I also look and say, well, God seems to make these things about worship and, and, and maybe they don't count in our sinfulness and so maybe they're not in need of a Savior like we are uh, and God will just restore them as He will restore much of the rest of the world. The rocks don't have a Savior and God will fix them in some way too. And so those are the two sides of the argument. Uh, you can be on either side of those and, and I think you're okay and if you want to talk, I would love to sit down and talk to you about those sides of the argument and argue with you just so that I can learn more and, and process what I think. Uh, but now you know as much as the Bible seems to kind of care. Uh, but we return now to the more important thing, and that is the presence of God in heaven. And, and I'll, I'll say this, if you care more about whether your dog will be in heaven than God being in heaven, 
then you have a big problem, right? You have your priorities backwards. You literally have the words backwards. So we want to turn, return to the presence of God. Let me read to you 22, 1 through 5. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city and His servants will serve Him. They will see His face and His name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun for the Lord God will give them light and they will reign forever and ever. Now this is meant to be connected, like I said, to the beginning of the book of, uh, of the Bible. It's, be, it's meant to be connected to the beginning of Genesis and, and really show that in the end, and this is great, I really like this. It's, it's a really fantastic plot twist in the narrative of Scripture where John's writing the end of the book. I mean, everything else that you read after this is just an angel saying to John, seal this up and it, it don't add to the book of Revelation and things like that. So this is really like the end of the story of the Bible. There's a little bit of narrative at the end there. But this is the end. And what happens at the end is it bookends the beginning. And so we see the garden in the beginning and then we see this at the end. And it's like God saying, look, everything is fixed. And so let me just give you a couple of examples of this. First of all, in Genesis 2.10, there's a river watering the garden, and it flowed from Eden. From there, it was separated into four waterheads. And here in verse 1, if you were paying attention, you see that there's a river flowing down the center of the new Jerusalem. Genesis 2.8 and 9. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree, was the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You see that? And so here we see this idea of this tree coming down the middle and somehow it's on two sides of a whole river, which is really cool imagery, right? But in the garden of Eden, there were two trees in the middle of the garden. And so we see a duplication of that. In Genesis 3.17, we read, Cursed is, is the ground. In Revelation 22.3, we read, No longer will there be any curse. In the book of Genesis, very beginning, we see God creates light, and He says it is good. And here we see that God is the light, and He is good. And so we see this restoration process in the, in the book of Genesis. One more thing, God is walking with Adam and Eve. Here in the book of Revelation, it says that God will dwell amongst his people. And so God is saying, and the book of Revelation is saying quite clearly what we have been talking about with our globe the last several weeks, and that is at the end, this whole thing with all of its problems and its pain represented by these words that don't really look like words, all of that will be erased and everything will be made better. And here's what John, book of Revelation, God himself wants to make clear to you. Everything will be made better because of the presence of God. In these last five verses of the Bible, what is made so clear is that the most important aspect of heaven, and I know we've been over this, is that God will be there. First, the river that is flowing down the center of the city. Notice where it comes from. It comes from the throne of God, and it's called the river of life. You see the illustration that, that John and God is trying to get across to you and I? That is that life only comes through God. Now, the Bible makes this pretty clear. It shows us the fall of man. It shows us that we're all under a curse. 
And then Jesus shows up on the scene, right? And Jesus comes and he lives a sinless life and he dies on a cross. And the Bible tells us quite clearly that we can only be saved and we can only have eternal life and we can only get into heaven if we come to a relationship with Christ through what he did on the cross. There's lots of people out there who want to say that there's, there's many ways to get eternal life, to get into heaven. But the Bible is clear. That there is only one way, and that is through Jesus. We also see here, we also see in verse 4 that that people are identified with God. It says that the name is written on their foreheads, right? And in the book of Revelation, you see, 14.3, that this this is spoken about people who follow the beast, that his name was written on their foreheads. And so, in the book of Revelation, having a name written on your forehead seems to be an identifier. And here, it's identifying these people with their relationship to the living God. You also see in Revelation 17.5 that it identifies the prostitute as being Babylon or Rome and it's written across her forehead. Now what's even more fascinating about this is just a, a wonderful nugget that, that I, I just love the way the Bible is written and how multi-layered it is. If you were to go to the Old Testament, you see the temple and that is where God made His presence most fully known in the Old Testament. And there was something in the temple, the very center, called the Holy of Holies. And it's really fascinating because the Holy of Holies is one of two times that a cube-shaped place is talked about in the Bible. The other one is the passage of Scripture just before Revelation chapter 22. The New Jerusalem is shaped like a cube, right? And so the Holy of Holies was shaped in the same way. And God says, look, you need to make it like this in the shape of a cube. And only one person every year could enter into the Holy of Holies. That was somebody known as the high priest, the main priest for the Israelite people. He got to go in once a year into the presence of God. And the presence of God was so powerful and so strong that they would they would tie a rope around his leg in case he died while he was in the Holy of Holies. They could just yank the guy out, right? Because nobody else was allowed to go in. Now here's, here's the key thing. The high priest was to have the name of God written across his forehead. And here when you read that these people have their names written on God's forehead, what you see pretty clearly, considering the shape of the cube of the New Jerusalem and the Holy of Holies, is that people who have given their life to Jesus, who have become Christians, they now have access to God. And it isn't a one-time-a-year access with the fear of death, but it's an eternal access where, where they get to be, we get to be, if we are Christians, in the presence of God forevermore without fear of death or pain or suffering. That's pretty cool, isn't it? And again, the emphasis is on the presence of of God. And then you see it just continues. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city in verse 3. And then in verse 5, there will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light. Here's just some quotes I read this week as I was studying. I, I think they're very telling. The presence of God imparts life to all those who are able to enter into intimate communion with Him. And this is talking about Revelation 22. There will be no form of curse in the New Jerusalem because God's consummate ruling presence will fill the city. The main point is nothing from the old world will be able to hinder God's glorious presence from completely filling the new cosmos. Likewise, nothing from the fallen world will be able to hinder the saints from unceasing access to the divine presence. And I know we've said it, 
but the presence of God is a huge deal. As we've been studying heaven, I just I've been I've been processing everything uh, that I believe about church and heaven and all of this. And as I look at the Bible, the whole thing is a story about God's presence. The whole thing is a story about God's presence in the lives of people. If you go to the very beginning, God walks around in a garden with His people, right? Adam and Eve were their names. Then they sin and God removes His presence from them. And God is in the lives of families and He interacts with families. And then, after the Israelites get stuck in Egypt for a while and they become free, God says, hey, I'm going to show up on a mountain and I'm going to bring my presence to you and you will become a nation. And the people do that and then God says, hey, I want you to leave here. And Moses says, if your presence does not go with us, then do not send us. For how else will people know that we, the Israelites, are your people? And they, they leave and God goes with them and He travels with them in this tent, right? And, and God's presence is so powerful in the tent that, that Moses glows whenever he goes in there. We'll talk about that in a second. And then he comes out and, and then the Israelites finally get into the promised land in Israel. And God says, look, I want a permanent dwelling place. And so they build him a temple and the temple is destroyed and they build them another temple, and that temple is destroyed. And then we see no biblical uh, reference for 400 years period. And then what happens, Jesus shows up on the scene in the beginning of the book of John, says to us that the Word became flesh and He dwelt among us. God literally in the person of Jesus came to the earth and made His presence known in the form of a human being that we refer to as Jesus. And then He dies and He rises again and He goes up to heaven, but He says, hey, don't worry about it because I'm going to send the Holy Spirit upon you and my presence through the Holy Spirit will still be in the world. And guess what? I'm coming again. And when you read the rest of the New Testament, the most important thing for them is that Jesus is coming back and He's going to be on our planet with us forevermore. The Bible is all about God's presence. And here's the truth. If you are not about God's presence, if it's not something you like or care about or need, then you need to check where your heart is. You need to check how much you love God, how much you desire to worship Him and be with Him. Now, here's the re- really interesting part about this, that, that, that God just would not he just wouldn't let it go. I, I, this is not what I wanted the sermon to be about, but it just it just kept being there and it was in me and it, it was challenging me. And here's what I want to challenge you with. Turn your attention again to verse 5. It says, They will not need the light of the lamp. Now when you look at light throughout the Bible, light is seen as a, as a good thing. It represents good in a lot of ways. For example, Genesis chapter 1, as I mentioned earlier, God creates light and says that it's good. It's really interesting, right? Because light is just light to us. But he creates light and he says it's good. If you were to look at, at the book of Psalms, over and over and over again, it seems to talk about God being connected to light. It even says that God wraps himself in light, that the, the garment of God literally is light. And so the Jewish people, for them... Having the blessing of God meant having the light of God shine upon you. And here, Numbers 5, 25, 26 is, is famous. And if you've ever been to uh, what would be called a higher church with, with more of a, a, a liturgy in their service, then you've probably heard this before. The Lord make His face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn His face toward you and give you peace. And so the Jewish people, for them, a blessing was having God's light shine upon your life. If you come to the New Testament... You see this, this same idea in the reference to Jesus. John 3.19, this is the verdict. 
Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. And so we see this in the Bible. Light represents goodness. It represents the presence of God. And here, the book of Revelation, he's saying, look, it's going to be so lit up that we won't need a sun or lampstands or anything like that. Now here's, here's what's really, really interesting, and this is, this, is, this is just so key. In the book of Revelation, this isn't the first time that lamps or lampstands have been talked about. If you went to Revelation chapter 1, 12 and 13, this is what you would read. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. Okay, so here's a reference to lampstands in Revelation 22. The end of the book, it says, there will be no more need for a lamp. Well, Revelation 1, 20 explains what they are. It says, the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and of the seven golden lampstands is this. The seven stars are the seven angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Here's the picture that we get. God went up into heaven, right? The light of the world left. And now, churches and the people within them are the holders of the light that is the goodness and the presence of God to the world. You catching that? The thing that holds everything good, everything that heaven will be about, as much as we can have on this earth, it's held by the churches and the people who go to them. Jesus said it, Matthew five fourteen through 16, He said to His disciples, You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Here's what I think the Bible is telling us, and this is what I think God was saying to me this week. We, as Christians and as a church, should be heaven on earth. We should be the greatest picture of heaven. We should be the picture of heaven on this planet. We are an imperfect picture, I get that. But we should be a picture of heaven. There's this interesting story that I mentioned, Exodus, Moses, he was the leader of the Israelites, and he goes up on the mountain to get the Ten Commandments. This is what we read in Exodus 34. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the covenant of law in his hands, he was not aware that his face was radiant because he had spoken to the Lord. When Aaron and all the Israelites saw Moses, his face was radiant, and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them, so Aaron and all the leaders of the community came back to him and he spoke to them. Afterward, all the Israelites came near him and he gave them all the commands the Lord had given him on Mount Sinai. When Moses finished speaking to them, he put a veil over his face. But whenever he entered the Lord's presence to speak with him, he removed the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the Israelites what had been commanded, they saw that his face was radiant. Then Moses would put the veil back over his face until he went in to speak with the Lord. I think Moses is a picture of what we all should be and what our church should be. He would go into the presence of God and he would glow so much that he'd come out of the presence of God and the people could see what God was like. 
They could see how powerful and mighty and wonderful and glorious God was like. And they could hear from Moses in a special way. Notice he keeps the veil off until after he has commanded the things of the Lord and then he covers himself up. And so they hear from God through the person Moses. And I believe that what God has called you and I as Christians you are one and us as a church to be is a picture of the presence of God that we will experience for eternity I believe that it is you and I's job to be so close to God as people in a congregation that when people look at us they say I want to go where you're going someday because you shine with the glory of God I think this is what God is saying to me and I think it's what God is saying to you that that if we are going to be what God has called us to be then we must become pictures of God and His dwelling place to this world. Here's what this means. I think that that, that this means that we need to be just wrapped up in God and, and we talk a lot about spending time with God. You know, read your Bible, pray more, all of that stuff. We talk about that. Oh, it would be cool if I just if I worshipped more and all of that. But I think what God is saying to us is that we need to spend time with Him and it needs to be so sincere and so real that we glow when we walk out of His presence. Here's what He's been saying to me and maybe it will connect with you in some way. I stand up here and preach... And I'm so utterly sick of hearing how good I am at it, to be honest with you. People always tell me how good I am at it. But I don't see the life change and the results that I want to see. And here's what God said to me this week. He said, you're not glowing when you get up there. You haven't, you haven't glown and people don't see you enough in me. And sure, I'm a Christian and I love Jesus and I spend time in prayer. But I don't think it's, it's the way God has intended where it's so powerful that when I stand in front of you, you go... He's been with God. And He's relaying the message that God has given Him. And I think that you, you want people in your life to know Jesus and and to come to Him and you want to be a light in the world. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. But you haven't spent the time with God because you have no light in you apart from God and, and the time that you spend in His presence so that you can radiate to the world. What I believe God is saying to us is that we need to be people who just show what heaven is like. In Revelation 22, 1 through 5, I think we see some pictures of what that kind of looks like. This isn't exhaustive by any stretch of the imagination. But, for example, it talks about the purity of the water. And I think that we need to be a picture of purity to the world. And the truth is, if we look just like everybody else when it comes to morality and the lives we are living, then we are not being a picture of heaven. We are not what we are supposed to be and we are not showing off what God's dwelling place and God Himself is like. And and so we need to be purified beyond the world. We see here that our lives, I, I think, should bring healing. It's pretty clear that healing is a big part of heaven and the removal of tears and pain and suffering. And I think that that you and I, we need to live lives that bring healing physically, spiritually, emotionally to people. We should be helping people Heal. It should just be part of who we are because of the time we spend 
with God. And I think we see here the nations coming together to the throne of God. And I think we look around and we see the fighting and the wars and all of that. And I think our lives, if we are reflecting heaven, if we are radiating heaven, will be lives that bring peace to the world when there is not peace. I think God is, is looking at us. This is what I think the problem is. I think we look around and we say, well, what works? I mean, what works in church and what works to, to kind of fix the problems in my life and what works to lead other people to Jesus? And what I think the picture in the New Testament is, while some of that stuff is great and helpful, what the picture is, is that we need to radiate the presence of God and then we'll become more pure and then we can bring healing and then we can bring peace and then people will know Christ and then people will be drawn to us because everybody wants to go to heaven. And if they can see what heaven is like in you, they'll say, how, how did you get a piece of it? Because I want a piece of it too. I can tell you that, that there's been a couple of times in my life when I, when I was looking back where, where I can see that I brought heaven into a couple of situations. And the first one uh, was, was the art tech ministry. And, and there's, a, there's a transitional school, uh, a school for kids that have struggled at other schools in, in uh, Wilsonville and uh, and we decided to take pizza to them. And the school said, no, sorry, we kind of have our cafeteria. But kids go out to lunch. And so we went down into the trees by the library. And uh, and we took pizza right down there. And, and, and this is the truth. We were like a glorious moment for those kids every single week. And we didn't do anything except show up and try to radiate the love and the peace that God brings. And I still see kids from that ministry, and, and, and we still have some kind of bond from it uh, in this community. And so we took heaven and pizza down into these trees. The other one is at the rest area, and we, we went down there for two years, and all we did was show up and feed breakfast. There was no agenda. Uh, we weren't trying to do anything except show up and say, look, we love Jesus. He has shown upon us. He has brought some things into our lives. And so here we are in all of our sinfulness, but hopefully we're radiating some good. And we have people sitting here this morning because, because we took heaven to that place which is pretty dark and pretty hurt. And what I think that God is saying to me and to you is that we must reflect the glory of God. I mean, we must reflect it in a way that people look at us and they say, that's what I want, and so how did you get it? What we shoot for a lot of times as Christians is, well, how much time do I got to spend reading the Bible and praying? If I can get a little bit in, and, and what things do I have to avoid? And I'll, I'll just kind of work hard to stop doing, you know, whatever. And, well, Chad's been talking about serving the church, and so I'll... I better do something, you know. But, but that's not the picture that the Bible paints. The, the picture the Bible paints is that we are to reflect the glory of God and the glory of heaven. And so this morning, as you think about heaven and the things we've talked about, the removal of the curse and God's presence, I just want you to think about that. Are you being heaven to earth? Because you are so close to God that people are seeing you in Him. Are you really acting as a lampstand for the light of the world. And when people look at you, do they see a difference? And if they don't, here's this isn't the thing. I'm not saying like if, if they don't, then hey, work on bringing peace. And maybe there's some sin that you need to try to remove in your life. But what I'm saying is get with God 
and learn to love God and learn to be in His presence. Just finish personally. I've come a long ways. I'm pretty consistent with Bible reading and prayer and um and I know that I'm blessed to have a job where if I don't get it done before I get to the office, then, then I can sit there and do it in the office, and you guys would probably all like that. And so I get that. Uh, but I, I've become pretty consistent. And this week, just this week, and, and I haven't even begun this really yet, I, 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 a little bit, I, I just I, I thought, okay, it's not just about you know getting my Bible reading done, getting my prayers done, You've heard me talk about this before. I want to pray for every one of you, and, and so I, I go down my checklist. But I, but I, I just I began to try to come into the presence of God and say, God, I just, I just need to radiate you. I need, to, I need you to, to shine your glory upon me. And I didn't do very good this week because here's the deal. I think that's a time commitment. And I saw it this week where it's like, well, I've spent more time in prayer. I don't really feel like I'm glowing yet, but I want to go do something else now. And so this is my challenge for me and maybe my challenge for you to say I'm so committed to this because the world needs it and I need it. And I'm not saying it's going to be easy. I mean saying, God, I'm going to, I'm going to sit here until you, until I feel like I'm glowing. I, I, I don't know how long that can take. I, I, there's no quick answer to that. We don't go like, hey, God, I flipped the light switch on now. But I, but I think that we need to take it seriously. And so I'm encouraging you this week, maybe you'll try it. Maybe you'll say, I, I, God, I just need to get away and I need to get closer to you and I need to love you more. And so will you just work that into my life and, and you'll go, okay, go. And you'll sit there and you'll go, okay, you're not going. And, and then you'll just be like, well, I need to do this or that. And I'm saying just me and you both. Us together. Let's just work through that. Let's just keep going and saying, God, I need to shine. Because the world needs me to shine and because you've called me to shine. Because without shining, this world just, I, I can't deal with it anymore. So that's what I want. Will you pray with me? Lord, I'm sorry that we just get, we, we become legalists in so many ways, God, where it's just about following rules. And, and I, I pray, God, that you would change that in us that you would help us to be people who just fall in love with you and become passionate about you and spend time with you and, and God, eventually just radiate your glory and your presence. And I pray, God, that you would shine upon us and you would shine upon our congregation, Lord. You know I pray every single week that, God, we would gather and you would meet us in powerful and real ways, Lord. And, and I pray that for this morning and I pray that for the future, but I pray, God, you'd shine upon us when we are alone with you, God, you would cause us to be pictures of heaven on this earth. Pray these things in your name. Amen. Let me finish by saying this. I, I talk a lot about the presence of God in our midst when we gather. And this is kind of the conviction that I came to this week, that, that if we to, individually are shining, when we show up together, we're going to be pretty bright, right? And so I, if it's any incentive, I think that our church becomes brighter as you become brighter. And so, so, so that's got to be part of it. And here's the other thing. One of the, one of the best pictures of heaven that, that, we can, that we can be is to not be a, a church that segregates. And um, when you read the book of Revelation and, and there's these great pictures where, where like the, the veil of heaven is kind of peeled back and John talks about what he sees. And what you see in those is all of creation people of every tribe, tongue, and language coming together and pouring out their hearts to God. 
And they're just, they're, they're there and they're in front of the throne and they're, and they're just yelling out and singing, Worthy is the Lamb to receive glory and honor and power and strength forever and ever. And they're excited about it. What's great at our church is that, that we are a multinationality church. And we are actually a multilingual church, and I'm very proud of that. I love that in our congregation. And this morning we're going to do something very different, because even on our worship team, we have multiple languages. And so Kika here, she speaks Russian. And so we're going to do three more songs today. It's more than we usually do after a sermon. What we're going to do is we're going to sing part of those songs in English and part of those in Russian. And the goal is that we will be a picture of heaven and this isn't just trying to talk you into singing to sing because, you know, we all kind of have different ways that we express our worship. But here's the thing. In heaven, they express their worship by crying out to God, worthy are you to receive glory and honor and power and strength. And this morning, I want you to stand up and both in, in English and Russian, which it will be transliterated for you up here, I want you to sing it out. And I want you to be a picture of heaven in the way that we sing. And the truth is, I believe, I believe with all my heart, when visitors come in here, if they're going to see heaven, then part of that, and I know this rubs some of you wrong, part of that is seeing us say, wow, I'm going to let it go for God because I am here with Him today and I love Him with all my heart. And so today, can we just practice that together? Will you stand up and, and these guys will lead us in a few more songs?